There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. I want you to open the Word of God with me, if you will, this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians in your New Testament. And when you get there, if you've got a Bible ribbon or a Bible marker, I want you to go ahead and mark your place in 1 Thessalonians because we're going to return here later this morning, later this afternoon, Monday night, and Tuesday night. And we're going to pitch our tent, drive a stake in the ground, and spend a little time actually in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And uh, if you look over these pages and say, heaven help us, he's going to preach all of this. No, I'm not going to preach all of this. That would be impossible. But I am going to try to take these two books of the Bible and place an emphasis this week that the Holy Spirit is working on me about. And so if you allow me to do that, I want to just stay in the same portion of the Bible and ask the Lord to speak to us. If you know anything about the church at Thessalonica, uh, they have often been referred to as the model church. And uh, I thought this week as I was preparing to be with this church, what an exemplary church this church has been. Uh, as a matter of fact, just in the last few days, week by week, I'm in different places. Uh, this time last week, I was preaching on the Gulf of Mexico. It was a little warmer there than here, let me tell you. And um, in the last few days, as people have said to me, where will you be next week? And I've told them Winchester. Immediately, people have mentioned this church to me. And I've had a number of people say, oh, that's a wonderful church. That's a, that's a great place. You have a wonderful testimony. And I thank the Lord for that. But I, I know something, and I know it from the church at Thessalonica, and it is this, that even model churches need reminders of certain things. Could I point out to you that it was the exemplary church that the Holy Spirit inspired two different letters be written to? It sounds to me like even the exemplary churches, maybe we should say especially the exemplary churches, need reminders of certain things. And so these are, are some messages to model to a model church. Now let's read just a little bit, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. I love the fact that Paul does not make himself any different than the other two men here. Now, typically in his letters, he identifies himself as the apostle or the servant, but here he's just part of the team. Isn't that a beautiful thing to be a part of something with other fellow laborers? So you've got Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And could I point something out to you? He gives here both their geographical location and their spiritual location at the same time. They're in Thessalonica. That's where they are geographically, circumstantially, physically. But spiritually, oh, I love this. They are seated with Christ in heavenly places. In other words, at the same moment, they are here and they are there. So today we are in this cold climate where we happen to be living right now. But spiritually speaking, we are seated with the Lord near the throne. Isn't that wonderful? And then the Bible says, grace be unto you and peace. These are the two great prayer requests of the Apostle Paul in almost every letter he writes. And there's a divine order. We're living in a world that wants peace without grace. You don't get it that way. You must have the grace of God to have the peace of God. 
So he says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you just mark, notice please in the first part of the verse, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the last part of the verse, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's always connecting the Father and the Son. I don't know of a better place to show the deity of Christ than in these great connections of Father and Son that Paul gives. And if you wonder, well, why not just say from God, grace and peace from God? Why not just say that? There's a reason here, because the Father is the sender and the Son is the channel through which the grace and peace comes. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights. But how does it get from the Father to hell-deserving sinners like us? It all comes through Jesus. If it's not for Jesus, friend, you don't get grace and you don't get peace. Tell them we said hello, would you please, all right? Look at verse number two. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. I love this. May I say to this church family this morning, I thank God for you. I really mean that. I'm an evangelist. I'm in different churches every week, but I thank God for faithful congregations like this. I thank God for churches that have just stayed right down the line trying to honor God. I thank God for you. And I not only thank God for you, I'm praying for you. Notice what he says in verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. And I love this list in verse number 3. He, he says there's three things about the church at Thessalonica you need to know. Uh, these three graces are often connected in Scripture, faith, hope, and love. Remember, 1 Corinthians 13, now about these three, faith, hope, and charity. Here they are again. But here it's extremely practical. Notice, it's not just the faith, hope, and the love. It is the outworking of the faith, the hope, and the love. Look at it, please. It is the work of faith. True faith works. Ask James if you don't believe that. It is not just love. It is the labor of love. The love of Christ constrains us to labor. And then... This is a tough one. It is the patience of hope. How many of you like the word hope? How many of you like the word patience? Not so much. I love to talk about hope. The hope of heaven, the hope of the soon return of Jesus, the hope of a brighter future, the hope, the hope, the hope of the promises of God. But notice, please, what leads to the hope, what grows out of the hope. It is a life of patience. And this is interesting to me because he begins the chapter with this emphasis on waiting on God. And notice how the chapter ends. Look over at verse number 10. And to, what's the next word, church? I want you to circle in your Bible in verse 10 the word wait and draw a line back to patience in verse number 3. What are we patiently waiting for? Look at verse 10. He answers, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, if I had to tell you this is the bottom line of First and Second Thessalonians, this is what it's all about, I would say to you it is all about the coming of Christ. How many of you believe Christ is coming? Do you believe he's coming soon? Did you know that nearly, nearly half of Americans surveyed said that they believed Christ was coming soon? Isn't that interesting? And yet, the reality is, I don't think half of Americans are living like he's coming soon. See, to give mental assent to a thing, to give agreement to a thing, and then to give application to the thing are two totally different things. 
So you can nod your head, say amen, write down your notes, mark it in your Bible all you want to, but until it gets to the place where it affects the way we live our lives every day, then it's not having the effect that God intended for it to have. The hope is to be a purifying hope. All these people that want to study prophecy and then live like the devil, I want you to know they've missed the whole point of it. The spirit of prophecy is to know Christ better, and to know Christ better changes the way you live your life every day. And so for the next three days, I want us to find out what God says to us by the Holy Spirit through Paul's pen in First and Second Thessalonians about the coming of Christ. This is, this is the great reminder that every church, even a model church, needs. And let's begin where God begins in chapter number one. Would you write this down somewhere? I want you to write some things down this week just to meditate on them a little more. Write this little question down. What are we waiting for? That's a legitimate question, I think, don't you? What are we waiting for? Are we waiting on some form of government to fix our problems? Heaven help us if we are. Are we waiting on some fulfillment of prophecy that has to happen? Are we waiting on a situation to change and circumstances to get better? Are we waiting on that? Are we, are we waiting on the Antichrist? Oh, no, friend, I'm not waiting on the Antichrist. I'm waiting on Christ. Here's what we're waiting for. Would you mark it in verse 10? We are waiting for his son from heaven. That's beautiful, isn't it? I'm waiting on the son of God. As surely as the Old Testament believers waited for thousands of years for the first coming of Christ, New Testament Christians are at this moment waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And for the record, as surely as he came the first time, he is coming again. And the world wasn't ready for him. Oh, it was prepared, but the people weren't ready for him when he came the first time. And I want you to know things are prepared now, and most people are not ready for him. There's a little expectancy, and I'm not talking about lost people now. I'm talking about saved people. I'm talking about people that are supposed to know the Bible and believe the prophecies are not living like the Lord Jesus is just around the next bend and just over the next ridge that any moment we could see him face to face. But I tell you, on the authority of the Word of God, this is what we are waiting on. We're waiting on the Lord Jesus. Maybe it begs the question, what is he waiting on? Why hasn't he come yet? Hold your place here just a second. Put your left hand in 1 Thessalonians just for a second. Let's take a quick detour. Turn over near the end of your Bible to the book of 2 Peter for just a moment. Let me show you something in 2 Peter chapter 3. If you ever want to know why the Lord has not yet arrived, why we've not yet heard the trumpet and seen his face, Here's the answer. God gives it to us. Somebody's going to ask you, where is he? Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Matter of fact, here's the question in verse 4. Where is the promise of his coming? God always answers his questions. The question's in verse 4. The answer's in verse 9. Here is why the Lord has not yet come. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Let's just stop right there for a second. How many of you are glad God's long-suffering to us? We've even lost the meaning of the word long-suffering. Would you like to know what long-suffering means? Take the word apart and flip it around and put it back together again. To be long-suffering mean, he, means he suffers long. You ever think about what God puts up with from us? You better be glad I'm not God. I'm just going to tell you. And I'm really glad you're not God. If we were God, we'd stomp each other like bugs every day. We're not long-suffering. We don't put up with much. But the Lord... Think what a holy, righteous God puts up with from sinful, fallen humanity every day. And he's long-suffering. Why does he suffer so long? Oh, thank you for this, Lord. Not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. Would you circle in your Bible the word any and the word all? I'm a whosoever will preacher because Jesus is a whosoever will Savior. I still believe God loves all people and Christ died for every man and the Lord wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's a great message here. But if you want to know why the Lord Jesus has not come back yet, he is coming, but why he's not come back yet, the answer is the Lord is extending the window, the opportunity, the time for people to repent and believe the gospel and be saved. In other words, he has not yet returned because there's still someone that needs to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be glorious? I mean, seriously, wouldn't it be glorious to be in the meeting or the person giving the witness when the last soul that's going to be saved and completes the bride of Christ calls on the Lord for salvation, and at that moment the trumpet sounds. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Only the Lord knows when that moment's going to be and where that's going to happen, but I tell you, it's going to happen. The Lord is waiting for his bride to be complete, the church to be made up, according to his perfect plan, and at that moment, the Lord is coming back. The only thing we are waiting on is the Lord's timing. We are waiting on his son from heaven. Go back with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, and let me just walk you through this opening chapter and give you some things that will help you to wait better. And let me just, full disclosure here, all right? I am a terrible waiter. I mean by that I am not patient. How many of you are fairly patient? Would you raise your hand, please? Fairly patient. God bless all four of you. That's very good. How many of you are like me and you are impatient? Now, look, in the fast food line, isn't it crazy? We are a fast food society, and even the fast food line doesn't move fast enough for us. I don't know why everybody can't take cues from Chick-fil-A, but that's a sermon for another day, all right? Down south in West Virginia, we have, we have toll roads. God bless the toll roads. And it doesn't matter if you've got an easy pass or not. I always get in the line where somebody doesn't know how to get through the toll quickly, you know? They're looking for their change and trying to figure out how to get on. Well, I fly a lot, and the worst words I ever hear are, we are in a holding pattern. Because that means you're just riding round and round in circles, just waiting on something. I hate sitting in a doctor's waiting room. I just, I don't like to wait. And yet, I want to tell you that God's people at this juncture have been called on to wait for his son from heaven. So how are we supposed to wait patiently? How are we supposed to have that patient hope? Well, let me give you two or three thoughts. Let's start here in verse number four where we left off. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Don't let that word scare you. It's a reference to their standing with the Lord, to the fact that they are God's chosen people. Of course, they chose to put their faith in him, uh, but it's a reminder of their spiritual standing chosen him from the foundation of the world. Look at verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. Boy, that's a good verse. Isn't that a good verse? I just want to stop and pray right now. Lord, let it not be word only today. Let it be power and Holy Ghost and much assurance. As ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord. Look at verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What does he do first? First, he takes them all the way back to the day of their salvation. That's very interesting to me. You want to be a patient waiter? You want to be a hopeful Christian? You want to be somebody ready for Jesus to come? You want to live looking for the return of the Son of God? Here's the first thing you need. Number one, write this down, would you please? Number one, you need to be reminded of the day of your salvation. If you want to live looking for 
the day of the Lord's return, then you need to live every day thinking on the day God saved you. Nothing stirs the heart and warms the spirit like a reminder of the day you came to know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. How many saved people are here today? Would you raise your hand? How many of you remember the day of your salvation? Was it a good day? <laughs> Look, next to the day you see Jesus face to face, it's the greatest day you're ever going to live. And it's the day that makes that day possible. The hymn writer said, glad day, glad day when Jesus washed my sins away. I saw the other day the woman who led me to Christ 40 years ago. I was preaching in a gospel meeting, and at the end of the meeting, uh, she, she made her way through the crowd to the front, and she's getting up in years now, but I, it was just a thrill to see the woman who opened a Bible and told me that I could have my sins forgiven. And I said to that woman, I, I've talked about you all over this country. I'm thinking now of that glorious day when the Spirit of God awakened something in me. I didn't understand much, but I knew I needed Jesus, and on that day, the Holy Spirit gave me that childlike faith, and I called on the Lord, and God answered my prayer and saved me. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I can get pretty cold-hearted sometimes. And don't look at me so pious. You do too. And in a hard, harsh world, we can get hard-hearted. And nothing tenders me, nothing tenders me like going back and visiting the cross again and remembering the day that God saved me. It's what Peter meant when he said, stir yourself up by way of remembrance. And Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and says, look, don't go to sleep. Stop that. Stop, stop being so indifferent and callous to spiritual things. Come on back with me. Let's take a trip in your imagination, in your sacred, sacred memory. Let's go all the way back to the day this all started and the Holy Spirit set this in motion in your life. Don't ever get over what it means to be a child of God. Don't ever forget what God saved you from. Don't ever lose the wonder that God would love a hell-deserving sinner and make a way so that you could be called a child of God. Think what it means to be saved, dear church. Let's hold our place here just a second. Just hold your place. Go back to Acts 17. Let me show you the first day. Would you like to see the first day that he refers to? Because it's given to us in Scripture. We compare Scripture with Scripture. Look at Acts 17. This was the day that Paul came into Acts, into Thessalonica, Acts 17, and began to preach the gospel. I love this. Look at Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went into them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Stop just a second. This is, this is amazing. The model church, the exemplary congregation of the New Testament, got set in motion in a matter of three Sabbath days preaching. Don't ever limit what God can do in a moment of time. He spent three days preaching and teaching the Word of God. And it wasn't all that they did, but that's what set it all in motion. Look, we're going to give three days to studying First and Second Thessalonians. Imagine what the Holy Spirit could set in motion in our hearts and homes and church and community if we would just give God our undivided attention. Look at verse 3. Here's his message. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. His message was the gospel message. This was not just any old sermon. This was not just some, some helpful, motivating lecture. No, no, this was the message of the gospel. This morning I flipped on television, listened to a Bible preacher, and he really was a Bible preacher. 
and he gave the gospel and gave the message of Christ. And when he went off, another preacher came on. And I say it very loosely when I say preacher. And I listened to him for about 10 minutes and finally had about all I could take and turned it off. And I listened to him speaking glowing, glorious terms about lots of religious things. And do you know he never mentioned the name of Jesus? There was never a mention of Christ. There was no sin in his message. There was no salvation in his message. There was no gospel in his message. I'm going to tell you, if there is no gospel, there is no hope. And Paul's message was a gospel message. Dear Lord, help this church always be a gospel church. Don't ever get away from the gospel. That's what set it all in motion. And here's the first day. Look at verse 4. And some of them believed. I just want to stop and say, thank you, Lord. Praise God. Some of them believed. Not all of them, but some of them believed. And consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude and the chief women, not a few. By the way, there's a lot of doctrine in verse number 4. Do you see who all got saved? It was Jews and Gentiles, and it was male and female. Sounds a lot like what Paul wrote to the church at Galatia and to the church at Colossae, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, bond nor free. Do you understand? In Christ we all get saved the same way. There is nothing more equal than the gospel message. We're all lost sinners. We all need Jesus, and Jesus saves all who come to him in faith. And so the first thing he does for this church at Thessalonica is he reminds them of the day of their salvation. Could I encourage you to do something? This week, share your gospel testimony with someone. I mean by that, this week, just tell somebody the story of how you came to know Jesus as your personal Savior. It will do them good, no doubt, but it will do you good. Now, this past Wednesday, I spoke at our home church. I'm giving on Wednesday nights this month a little soul-winning training. And this past Wednesday, we, we just studied about how to give your testimony, how to give your story. And we had a lot of fun with it. And uh, the next day, uh, we got a message from a woman uh, in the church who is a widow woman, actually. She's been in the church for many, many years. And she sent a message to say that for the first time that day, she gave her gospel testimony to someone. And she said, I was nervous, she said, but it was so exciting just telling this woman how I had come to know Jesus as my Savior and what the Lord meant to me. I'm telling you something. If we just had a revival of the Christian testimony of most church members, it would light a fresh fire in our hearts to be ready for the soon return of Jesus Christ. So, you're waiting for the sun from heaven? Here's how you wait. Number one, remind yourself of the day of your salvation. That's not all. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and keep reading. We stopped in verse 6. He became followers of us and of the Lord. Mm, this gets tough now. Having received the word in much, what's the next word in your Bible, church? Now, I got to be honest with you. I love to talk about the day of my salvation, but I don't like to think about the days of affliction. But they always go together. They not only receive the word, they receive the word in much affliction. In other words, he said, I know it cost you something. I know there was persecution because of it. I know there was spiritual opposition in the midst of it. I know all of that. And so here's the second truth. Would you write this down? If you're going to wait for a son from heaven like you ought to, not only do you need to be reminded of the day of your salvation, but you need to recognize the days of affliction. Do not be shocked when the followers of Jesus face opposition. This is not some new thing. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Peter wrote, this is, this is not something that is out of the ordinary we should be shocked over. No, 
The days of affliction immediately grow out of the day of salvation because, watch this, everything God is blessing, Satan is fighting. So, if you see the Lord doing something in your church, if God is working in your heart, if the Lord is blessing your family, just brace yourself because the devil's going to poke his ugly head up somewhere. From the very beginning, when God made man and woman, put them in the garden and blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, immediately the devil went to work. He hadn't done a thing to that moment. And immediately he begins to try to fight against the blessing of God and the fruitful work that God gave to man. I want you to know that affliction is going to come. And in fact, I think it's going to intensify. And if you think, well, that's pretty depressing, preacher, read the rest of verse 6. With joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. I don't know about you, that sounds like a pretty hopeful passage to me. It sounds to me like the affliction did not stop the work of God, that God blessed in the midst of the affliction. In fact, let me show you three things that God brings in the days of affliction. And we all know these are troubled times. Let me show you three things God gives his people in the midst of it. Number one, in verse 6, he gives joy. This is good. The days of affliction are days of joy for the people of God. I talked to a man yesterday and um, asked him how he was doing, how the work was going. And he said to me with exuberance over the phone, I hadn't talked to him in probably years, but with exuberance over the phone, he said, you know, Brother Scott, he said, these are difficult days and hard days. He said, but I'm experiencing more of the joy of the Lord than ever before. And I said to him, I think that's where it's supposed to be. See, the measure of your joy is not what's going on outside of you. It's the one that lives inside of you. Look what the joy is connected to. The joy is connected to the person of the Holy Ghost. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and the next part is what? Joy. And so when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, let the whole world fall apart. Let the governments go crazy. Let war rage. Let it all happen around you. The child of God still has heaven's supply of Holy Ghost joy in the midst of the days of the affliction. In fact, God very often connects the affliction and the joy. I really believe this. Now, you're going to think this is crazy, but I really believe that some of the happiest Christians on earth are ones facing persecution. In fact, you read the book of Acts and you look at the persecution that scattered them, and yet everywhere they went, they had this happy testimony, this, this happy reputation. What's up with that? Are these people just strange? No. No, they have supernatural grace. Let me show you something. Turn back over to 1 Peter just a minute. Peter writes about this to believers who are facing persecution. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. In verse 12, I quoted a moment ago, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Look at verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, that's the day we're looking for, waiting for his Son from heaven, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Look, that's how martyrs stood at the stake and were burned to death while they sang songs to the Lord. That's how people in underground churches around the world, we take a lot for granted, you know. That's how people in underground churches around the world still sing with joy in their heart 
because the Lord connects the spirit of glory and of God to the affliction. Before we go back to our text, let me just show you something. Did you see there's three words that are used here for God's joy? Look at it in verse 13. First, but rejoice. That's the imperative. That's the command. So there's joy as a command to be obeyed. Look at the end of the verse. He said, when you suffer, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So you not only have joy as a command, now the Bible says you have God's joy someday to look forward to. So we got joy to obey. Yes, I rejoice in the Lord. Now I got joy on the other side to look forward to. But I love this. Look at verse 14. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Do you see the present tense? I don't just have joy when Jesus comes back someday. Praise God for this. I have a present supply of the Lord's joy. I got good news for you. Ready, church? You don't have to wait for the rapture or death to enjoy the Lord. You can enjoy him today. In the midst of the days of affliction. You know, I talk to so many Christians down on the mouth right now, honestly, preacher. I mean, I just... Everywhere I travel, and you ask people, how you doing? You almost want to stop asking people, you know. How you doing? And they, oh, preacher. And I know people have problems, and folks are hurting, and there are difficulties. Look, we've had death in our family in the last few months, and we've had sickness, and everybody's got trial, and man that is born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Welcome to my country, you know. We all have problems. We all have some sad story to give. But the reality is, if you're a child of God, the joy of the Lord exceeds whatever it is you're dealing with, and the joy of the Lord is your strength to get you through the days of affliction. Enough with this e Eeyore Christianity. Everybody remember who Eeyore is? Poor old Eeyore. Everything's bad. Everybody, everything's on the down note. Every song in the minor key. Lift up your heads. Your redemption draweth nigh. God's people need to get their head out of the dirt and back on the skies. Old Dr. Robertson used to say, Two men behind prison bars, one looked at the mud, the other the stars. Maybe it's time we get our head up out of the mud and say to the Lord, Dear Lord, I want to live the joyful life that you designed for the child of God in the midst of the days of affliction. That's not all. Go back to chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians because the days of affliction not only give you joy in verse 6, but the days of affliction in verse 7 are days of example. That's interesting, isn't it? This church that is the model church, the exemplary congregation? <laughs> you think they're just all seated, dressed up for church on a Sunday in a nice building, and they're singing their hymns, a nice tidy service? Let me tell you about the church of Thessalonica. They were rioting in the streets against the preaching of the gospel. This was messy. This was not easy. We have this idea that the model Christian life, you know, is just every, everything's in order and all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed and, and it's easy and they're just moving forward methodically. I'm going to tell you something. This is spiritual warfare. It's a battle. But yet watch, in the midst of all that mess, God makes them an example to every other Christian. Would you pray something? Would you pray that God would make you an example to others? Would you pray that God would make your family an example of the grace of God? Would you pray that God would make this church increasingly in these days of difficulty a model to other people to say, look, you can follow the Lord and see God work even in difficult times. The days of affliction, look at them. In verse 6, they're days of joy. In verse 7, they're days of example. Well, I like this. In verse 8, they're days of witness. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. That word sounded is an interesting word. It is literally a word for the traveler. 
Somebody might say about me, that's a traveling preacher. Well, I, I love this. These people were stationary. They lived in Thessalonica. They labored in Thessalonica, but their testimony traveled. So they were traveling preachers too. Their, their witness sounded out. And where did it go? Look at it. Macedonia, Achaia, no, every place. The faith to God were to spread abroad. Well, Paul said, I don't even need to tell them anything about your faith. They've already heard about your faith. Whew, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? I've written in the margin of my Bible, this is a church that touched the world. It touched the whole world. Unless you think I'm just talking about ge geography here, could I point out to you that 2,000 years later, their church is touching our church? That this morning, the church at Thessalonica is still having an impact that they're going to meet at the judgment seat of Christ someday. Oh, I'm praying something for your church this week. I'm praying that this church that has had the work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope, that this church that has been such a model to others, that this church that has been an example of the grace of God for half a century would, by the grace of God in this generation, be used to the Lord to touch the whole world. Pray big prayers, church. Have you ever asked God to use your church to touch the world? Have you ever thought that this church sitting on this hill up here could be used of God to set something in motion that all of you would meet someday at the nail pierced feet of Jesus? Has it ever dawned on you that like ripples in a pond, God could use you to set something in motion that would touch the whole world? And yes, for his glory, do it in the days of affliction. You want to be ready when the Lord comes? Number one. You need to be reminded of the day of your salvation. Number two, you need to recognize the days of affliction. And number three, you need to remember the day of expectation. There's a day on God's calendar. It's not on my calendar. I wish I knew what day it was, but nobody knows. But it's the day we look forward to with great expectation and anticipation. What day is it? Look at verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven. It will be the moment that heaven opens up to earth. Mm, that's powerful, isn't it? It will be the moment that a door in heaven opens and the Son of God steps out that door on a cloud. And we're going to study more about that day later in this meeting because Paul has a lot to say to the church of Thessalonica about that day. But let's just restrict our, our thoughts to verse number 10. Look at it. And to wait. Did you know the word wait here is literally a word that means to wait up? I very often drive in late at night from meetings, and I'll say to Tammy, don't wait up. How many of you ever say that? Don't wait up on me. Or she'll say to me, or one of the kids would say to me, oh, we, we can't wait to see you. We're going to wait up for you. That is the word that is used here. What a, what a powerful word. Watch. He's saying to the church, don't go to sleep. Wait up. Keep the lights on. Keep yourself ready. Stand over at the window and keep your eyes peeled. Wait up. What are we waiting up for? His son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Notice how, how this hope reaches back and reaches forward at the same time. Look, please. It's built on the resurrection. So it reaches all the way back to the day of the resurrection. Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Yes or no? That was weak. Let's try that again, all right? Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Yes or no? All right, then watch this. If you believe Jesus rose from the dead, you better believe Jesus is coming again because a living Savior is going to keep his promise. I guarantee you, 
If he kept his word and came out of the grave alive forevermore, he's going to keep the rest of his word and he's coming back for us. It is built on the resurrection, on the promise of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's going to be revealed when the Lord comes again. But then don't miss this. Look at the verse. It's not only built on the resurrection, it is building to our rescue. I love this. It delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, hear me with your heart. There is wrath coming. You think it's bad now? This is not good English, but you ain't seen nothing yet. You think it's bad in this world? You wait till God lets hell loose on earth. It's going to happen. Seven years like this world has never known. Sometime back on our daily podcast, I decided to study through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, it was a, it was a sobering study for me. I mean, it was, it was a very somber thing for me to study through those seal judgments and, and those trumpet judgments and those vials, see the wrath of God poured out on the world. And I just had to pause and first thank God that I'm not going to be here for that because he's delivered me from the wrath to come. And second, say, dear Lord, help me win everybody I can while I can because I don't want anybody to have to go through that. Now, there are lots of different ideas about the second coming of Christ and when it's going to happen. Let me just tell you this. There are some things we don't know. And if anybody tells you they have all the answers, get as far away from them as you possibly can. I think your pastor holds the same conviction I do, that we believe that the Lord will come before the tribulation age. We call it a pre-tribulation, premillennial position. And it's not my point to get into all that. There, by the way, there are sincere Christians that don't hold that view in history. And so I, I don't belittle those people, but I don't hold that position from Scripture myself. And I think I could show you from the Bible why I hold a pre-tribulation position. But one of the greatest reasons is just because of who God is, his character all through Scripture. Watch this, please. From the very beginning, God never poured out his wrath on the righteous like he did the wicked. Never. For example, do you remember in the book of Genesis when Abraham was pleading over Sodom? What did he say to God? God, we know you're the righteous judge. We know you're going to do the right thing. And far be it from you to destroy the righteous with the wicked. See, Abraham understood that the character of God was such that the righteous and the wicked were so totally separate in God's sight that God would not treat them the same. Let me ask you a question. Who is the church? The church is the bride of Christ. Aren't you glad to be the bride of Christ? Do you really think the bridegroom's going to pour out the wrath on his own bride? Do you really believe that the Lord is going to pour out the wrath on his church? Somebody said, what are we waiting for, preacher? I'm going to tell you what we're waiting for. We're waiting on wedding day. That's what we're waiting on. Our oldest daughter, Morgan, got married in January. I prayed for the rapture to come before that day. I want you to know that. I really did. I told her fiance, I'm praying Jesus comes before that day. And he laughed and said, well, I'm praying he waits. So at least after that day, we'll see who gets our prayers answered. And so now we know. But anyhow, I remember the expectation that led up to that wedding day. Friends, there's a much greater wedding day coming. It is the day when Christ and the church are united forever, and we head off to the greatest marriage supper in history, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the greatest honeymoon in the world because while the wrath is being poured out here, we're going to be with the Lord in heaven. Isn't that going to be a glorious thing? That's what we're waiting for. By the way, that same passage in Genesis after Abraham had that conversation with God, in the very next chapter, Genesis 19, when the angels showed up, what did they say to Lot? Before they could pour out the fire, before they could pour out the wrath on Sodom, they said, you got to get out of this city because we're not allowed to pour out the fire while you're still here. That's interesting to me. 
See, I am convinced from Scripture that God will remove his children, these, these elect of God, before the wrath is poured out. Matter of fact, turn one page in your Bible. Look at chapter 5 and verse number 9. This is a good cross. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, let's just say amen right there, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. What are we looking for? What are we waiting for? We are waiting for the bridegroom to come. Look at the verse, to wait for his son. You know who his son is? His son is my Savior. I'm waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And for the next three days, we're going to concentrate our study in First and Second Thessalonians, and this is my prayer church. My prayer is that God would take this model church to another level. That's my prayer. My prayer is that God would take this exemplary congregation that I'm looking at and preaching to this morning and would put something so much deeper in your heart and awaken something in your own spiritual understanding that this church would be more and more a church of joy and an example of faith and a witness of the grace of God and that the greatest days in the life and ministry of this church will be the days between today and the day the trumpet sounds. Has God been good to this church, yes or no? 50 years of it. Is that a lot to rejoice in? Oh, yes, friend. But don't sit around and just rejoice in the last 50. Let's pray that the present tense God will pour out his power on this church in a way that exceeds anything we ever imagined while we wait for his son from heaven. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.